0: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast
1: with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas. This week, you're listening to episode 164. What's up, Mark? What's up is we're so happy we still have our sponsor from last month, IBM.
0: (laughs) Big shout out to those guys. We're actually going to the IBM Think Conference in uh, San Francisco. I think it's the second week of February. So if you're going to that show, uh, give us a shout out. We'd we'd love to meet you in person. We're actually probably going to meet at least one or two of the people from uh, Marketing Over Coffee whose office will be there. So if you're on the speaking circuit, on a panel or whatever, and you're showing up out there, let us know. The other thing that's going on, Jake, that's so awesome is you and Colin are rocking and rolling with your Startups podcast.
1: Yeah, man, things are uh, things are going great. We've had a lot of really good guests on. We've learned a lot from the people that we've had on. The feedback has been absolutely tremendous now up to this point. Everybody is raving and raving about it. So I think we're doing all the right things. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And then, as you know, and some people may know or may not know, we also started vlogging. And so we have a we have a videographer who follows us around a few times a week, kind of just documenting. The process of kind of what we do with the different businesses and then the creation of the podcast and different types of content. It's one of those things that kind of just happened. You know, we made those those two vlogs about us actually going in and, and purchasing our wells and then the first workover that we did. And then every happy hour, I would just get bombarded with questions from people saying, when are you guys going to release another vlog? And we are like, well, we weren't really planning on it. Those were kind of just like one-offs. And so now you have a dedicated vlog that you guys can go and and check out if if you want to watch it. It's just Digital Wildcatters on YouTube. I'll drop a link in the show notes as well. And it's really good. And I'm not saying that because Jake is my co-host on this show. It it actually
0: is really good. The other thing, folks, is this podcast, the Oil & Gas Startups podcast, I'm watching the growth. It's going to pass up oil and gas this week. It it is eventually going to be the number one podcast. And we are looking for sponsors, both for the podcast and for the vlog. So if your company wants to get in front of this train of marketing power, reach out to Jake and I. We'll be happy to have those discussions with you. Uh, Speaking of marketing power, I'm sorry, Jake.
1: I was just going to say another crazy thing is that all of so looking at the people that listen to the Stardust podcast, it's a significant amount of people out of New York and like California. Because we, oh, yeah. we, we have them reach out to us. So it's not just the, the oil and gas natives. It's people who are either interested in the industry or they somehow touch the industry or interface with it in some way or another. So I thought that was pretty cool. No, I think it's cool, too. and That's the reason I think you could be number one. You're not just pulling the audience
0: from oil and gas. You're pulling the audience from tech, from startups, from investment money all over the world. So like I said, folks, this is your chance while you can at a relatively inexpensive price
1: to go sponsor that show and, and take that rocket ride straight up. And one more thing is that if you want to nominate somebody to be on the show other than yourself, reach out to me. I yeah. think that's a good way to do it because everybody wants to put themselves on the show. But if you have somebody in mind that you would, you think would have a good conversation with us, just let me know. Yeah. Just reach out to Jake directly. The, the The podcast
0: is really good. Even if you're not in the startup scene, just hearing the backstories of the founders, you know, the times when they're ready to quit and they're having to pay their people on their personal credit card and the trials and tribulations. It's just, it's, it's, it's awesome stuff to listen to. Speaking of awesome stuff to listen to, Jake, uh, we got some reviews going on. A great podcast by Texas Aggie1996 in the process of getting hired on at EOG Resources of Mudman. And love the content, guys. Uh, We love EOG Resources and you too, Texas Aggie1996. And then uh, Simon Hobbs from the U.K., Hi, I'm a Brit working for OMV in Australia. Love the show and how enthusiastic you are. Keep up the good work. We plan on keeping up the good work, Simon. Thank you. And then finally, Jake, this was really, it's kind of touched my heart a little bit. We had Angus McLennan reach out to me from the UK. And he has a, a book that he actually wrote that he actually sent
1: to you for your little boy. Yeah. And uh Zayn has just been I mean, obviously he can't read yet. He's only like eight months, but you know, he keeps picking up the book. It's all it's I find it all over my house now. So I thought it was really cool. I reached out to Angus and said thanks, you know. I thought it was interesting. It's probably the only oil and gas slash mining book for kids on the face of the earth. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, we're going to put a link in the show notes. If you have some young ones and you're looking for a good present, uh, uh, reach out and go ahead and buy a book
0: from Angus because it's re- it's really well done. And The fact that it's so niched in our industry, we don't get a lot of good positive stuff about our industry. So here's a way for you to educate your kids, your grandkids about the cool stuff we do in our industry, not all the stuff out there that's not really true. And speaking of stuff that's not really true, <laughs> we're going to correct a <laughs> whole sure bunch of that Not sure that's the word.
1: best tie in <laughs> <laughs> So let's start the news stories, Jake. All right. So guys, kicking off 2019, we know we've been super busy. So we want to have a lot of different stories all over the place. Trying not to be as upstream focused or upstream biased like I normally am. So we're going to start off with uh, an LNG project. So this article is talking about will Exxon greenlight this huge LNG project. So they've secured a long-term purchasing commitments for LNG gas from its Revuma project in Mozambique. I'm not sure if that's how you say it or not. They're moving closer to a final investment decision on the facility that will add as much as 15.2 million tons of LNG to global capacity. That sounds like a lot. It's not. It, okay. it, I
0: mean, it's, it's significant. So, you've, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about this. I've, I've said a million times that LNG is the fuel of the future. I've said a million times that both Shell and Exxon recognize that a long time ago and turned themselves into natural gas companies. What's cool about this, Jake, is let's look at the finances here. So, basically, Exxon has secured a contract for buying LNG that it can't make yet. Think about that. That's like somebody coming to WellHub and making an investment saying, okay, we'll go ahead and pay you even though you can't deliver the tech product yet for another year. I mean, that's every salesperson's dream, right? To be in a place where somebody's buying from you and and writing you a check and you don't can't deliver it yet. Yeah. So this is one of the things that the majors do around the world is that they will secure big capex projects with commitments, contractual commitments. So they know that if they bring the project online, they have a buyer already contractually committed. This is the smart way to do stuff. It limits risk for everybody. Now, in return, the buyer of this LNG is getting a guaranteed discounted price and of course, you know, Exxon didn't call me and ask me to help them with their negotiations and the contracts. I don't know what that is, but that's the advantage to the buyer. So Exxon gets a secure capital flow gets contractual commitments to buy X amount of LNG and then the company that bought it gets a a price discount for signing up ahead of time. So this is going to move ahead. The the catchy news phrase is, will it move ahead? No, yeah, it's going to move ahead. And this is going to just continue to grow. That part of the world, the Middle East, Africa part is going to be one of the mega suppliers of LNG for the the entire world. So this is just one of the things that's going to just keep on happening. You can see a lot of this uh, happen around Mozambique with a whole bunch of different companies. You can see it's going to heat up LNG, heat up out of the Gorgon Project in Australia. Australia. We're shipping LNG out of the Gulf Coast and pretty soon we'll be shipping out of the East Coast. So LNG is a fuel of the future and here's a perfect
1: news story to show that off. Awesome. Uh, then I started is talking about the new oil order. So if you guys have kind of been paying attention, the rate count has kind of dropped a little bit and it's kind of been flatlined over the last probably – I don't know, three to six months. And as a result, oil prices are up a little bit. And it's funny that we say they're up. It's at $53, <laughs> right? But I think once it drops, we kind of start to really appreciate uh, exactly <laughs> the where it's $53 price, price. Yeah, mark. $53 oil. Yeah, But the article kind of dives into, you know, so before the arrival of U.S. Uh, shale oil, the oil market had one stabilizing force, OPEC. Right. Right. And so the reason that the oil market was structured this way was due to the nature of conventional oil production. So most non-OPEC oil production prior to the US oil shale fell into one of two categories. So you got the major offshore projects that took five to seven years to build, so the North Sea, Gulf of Mexico, et cetera. And you have the mature conventional onshore fields, Russian Siberian fields, US conventional fields, et cetera. Now, both of these conventional oil supplies were pretty non-responsive or only slowly reactive to changes in the oil price. So major offshore oil projects tended to come online regardless of the oil price environment. Conventional onshore oil production with shallow decline rates meant that even the slowdown of drilling uh, would not impact total production in any meaningful way over an extended period of time. And so the point of OPEC, as many of you know, and if you don't know, now you know, the point of OPEC is to do us production to balance the market in case of abrupt supply or change demands. And OPEC has the ability and has done this multiple times and the flexibility to withdraw millions of barrels from the market within a month or two if needed. But then once U.S. shale came onto the scene in 2014, it completely upended the OPEC, non-OPEC balancing act, introducing a medium-term oil supply balancing mechanism, which is what we've seen recently. Yeah, and the other thing
0: that a lot of people, even a lot of analysts, don't quite get – is the reason OPEC can either turn on the tap or cut it off, so either increase supply or decrease supply so easily, is it's a cartel. So basically you got a leader that tells everybody else what to do, and they do it. That's the power of OPEC. As opposed to here in the U.S., where and the reason they can do that OPEC is because in most of the world, including the Middle East um, and the other OPEC nations around the world, the government owns the minerals. So, so the government controls production. Here in the U.S., it's not that way. U.S. is the only country on the planet where somebody like Jake and Colin and myself can own mineral rights. So if the market gets flooded with, with crude and I'm a producer, I'm a small producer, I don't stop producing. I try to produce more because I need to make some money and I, and I was I was making good money at $60 a barrel. You know, now at 40 I got to produce more. So, it's added a piece to this machine that is from the OPEC side is unpredictable. From our side it's totally predictable. We we know that production is going to keep going up. The the constraint right now quite honestly is transport. And by 2025-ish, 2025-2027, when we have all these constraints fixed by pipelines, that oil is going to be able to come to the market extremely quickly, which is once again to lower the cost of our producer so they can still make money at the 50. And I know everybody hates when I say this, the 45 to $50 range. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens. But you brought up a good point, Jake, about the big offshore projects. The low crude prices didn't uh, negatively affect them. It's because the the companies, the majors and the big knocks that do those huge offshore projects aren't worried about what happens to oil today or tomorrow. They're, they're looking at a decade-long sales cycle. So to them, they don't really care if it goes down today and goes up tomorrow. They want to know what that price is going to be averaged, you know, for the next decade. And if they can produce oil offshore under that price and with a decent margin, they go ahead and keep the project moving. So it's, it's actually really interesting to watch dynamics. And this all ties into also things like refineries being retrofilled or being built based upon what the future of crude supply looks like. So this is just a part of the dynamics, but you, it's, it's a good article if you want to understand why production and Supply can change so quickly, but the actual projects, especially the big mega projects, it doesn't even affect them at all.
1: Yeah, and this kind of ties into uh, just skipping the next article and going down one. We'll come back to that. It ties into the number of ducks that we have. So the number of uncompleted wells, a.k.a. ducks, in the U.S. shale patch has skyrocketed roughly 60% over the last two years. That leaves a very, very large backlog that could add a new wave of supply. Even if drilling slows down or completely stops, we talked about this in the last episode, you know, so as the ducks continue to swell, essentially, it doesn't look like they're slowing down. The total number of ducks hit 8723 in November, 2018. I think it's actually closer to 9000 now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
0: So my two cents on that. So I, even though the numbers aren't there yet, my gut's telling me that the number of ducks are on the decline. So what's happened is as these pipelines come online, uh, that especially like in the Permian coming back here in the Gulf Coast, those ducks are now being completed because now people can get the oil to market and make money off of it. I suspect our duck inventory will slowly decline, but I still think this is an opportunity for an entire new market built around The marketing of ducks, but using technology to make sure that people get a clear and transparent view of what they're getting themselves into, what they're putting their money into, to the point where I think at some point in our lifetime there'll be a market for wells that aren't completed that people can invest in, and it'll be fractionalized. So you don't have to have you know a hundred thousand dollars to invest, or you know three hundred thousand dollars. You can do with five hundred bucks. So let's keep an eye on this. that, That there's a market there, and that that duck. Uh, supply is, is, in the grand scheme of things, enormous compared
1: to what we usually do here in the U.S., but I think it's starting to, to uh, uh, decline. Have there been any new pipelines that have come on into 2018 or slotted for early 2019? I know in, the, in the last half of 2019, there's a few that are supposed to be coming online, but Yeah, there's some smaller ones, not between the
0: Permian and the Gulf Coast, but there's some smaller ones that have come online all all over the place. And there's some larger projects that will come online soon, like before the second half of this year. Um, But there's, Jake, the last time I went out there, I have never seen, last time I went to Midland, I have never seen so much Earth moving equipment. Like it looked like a commercial for Caterpillar. It was huge dozers and you know, treasures and those huge dump trucks and everything. They're building pipeline as quick as they possibly can. It's actually, it's really impressive. I, I got a picture, if I think about it, we'll put it in the show notes, and we're actually in a operating pump jack field. So we're in a field that's that's in that's in production. Behind us is operating windmills, and next to me is the biggest pipeline project I've ever seen in my entire life, all in one picture. And it's like there's no other
1: place on the planet you could have taken this picture. It's cool. <laughs> Yeah, Colin and I are going out there in a few weeks. We don't have a solid date yet, but we have a million meetings we need to, uh, to knock out. So if you guys are in Midland, Pecos, Odessa, middle of nowhere area, let us know. And I think we might actually be organizing some kind of get together if we can find a spot to do it, just to kind of meet people out there. Yeah. And Jake, you don't even know this. Because you and I
0: haven't talked. People think we probably talk all the time. Jake and I right now aren't even in the same building. But we're actually launching a happy hour in Midland. It's, I got a, a hunter out there organizing everything. Um, that should actually be stood up by next month. So by March, we should have that going on. We also have one going on in Dallas. And then we're making a trip to launch the Permian Perspective. So it'd be funny, Jake, if you and I didn't talk to each other we end up in Midland at the
1: same time. And no one else that would have into each other.
0: She would be, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So, uh, shale pioneer Harold Ham, as most of you know, the founder of Continental Resources, was at a recent conference and he had some, I guess, comments to say that he thinks that growth, U.S. shale growth, could fall by half. But he also added that was a complete wild guess. <laughs> so, he spent a lot of <laughs> shale EMPs. Uh, are trying to spend within cash flow, which typically happens right after a downturn. Hopefully, they're being a little bit more disciplined with their capital instead of uh, you know, taking out so much debt and being extremely over leveraged like we've seen what happened in 2014 with, you know what, 200 plus bankruptcies? Yep. So he was quoted in saying producers have to become more disciplined in their approach to capex. years back growth was a huge consideration. That consideration has been much less. The peak consideration now has been, are you overspending cash flow? Are you living within cash flow? wise words. Yeah, and, and,
0: and lots were and he has a really good point here and we've talked about this before but I want to bring it back up. The way you make money offshore with the big mega projects is completely different with the way you make money onshore. And so what what had happened is when all this shale hydrocarbons was opened up because of the combination of an old technology fracking and a new uh, technology called horizontal drilling a lot of the companies invested money into shale like it was offshore, which was not a good use of capital because the cycle offshore is so much longer and so much predictable. You do all your math up front before you build the, the platform. And once you do everything, as long as you hit your start dates and your deliver dates, you make money offshore. It's not like that on land. The cycle is much quicker. And all it takes is for you to drop something down the well board, all of a sudden that well's not going to come online on time. right? So, so in the beginning, investors – the majors, the big NOCs, the investment money in Wall Street, poured money in a shell like it was offshore and it just wasn't so a lot of people lost everything they had because that but we've learned and so what ham's saying here is that he hopes that everybody's learned and the market realizes that they have to invest in shale differently than they do offshore it was a a learning right we've never done this before the kind of cool thing about this though is once we get this figured out which we are we're in the middle of of, i would say we're probably halfway through getting the finances literally knocked down and being able to document it for the shell place that's going to help the rest of the world come online because that geology that Shell Geology is all over the world. It's just we're one of the few places we can get it out and make money at it. That's not going to last for long. So this is good for our industry. And, you know, anytime uh, Ham says anything, even if he's saying
1: it's a wild-ass guess, the guy knows what he's talking about. So pay attention. I thought one of the funniest quotes from the whole article was a quote from Oxy CEO. I believe not as much money will be pouring into the Permian Basin this time. I believe investors will hold companies accountable for returns. And a lot of this didn't happen previously. Yep. I'm just going to drop the right there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Next up, is this a tough time for sand miners? There's been a huge rapid increase in sand mining capacity that has collided with softening demand. And there's a surge in regional sand mines that is kind of displacing the traditional northern white sand that has been you know, dominant in this space. So if you remember in 2013, there was like a record number of energy IPOs and sand miners accounted for three of the top 10 energy firms in equity value appreciation following public market debuts. But now we've seen those valuations decline by 51% by today. Yeah, it's it's market right. So when it was hot, people dumped
0: money and they had mergers and acquisitions in the sand. In my market, and you and I even talked about it. Now that it's cooled off a little bit, well, actually it cooled off for three years, <laughs> and it came back with a bang. And now it's kind of cooled off again, and the market's just adapting this. So you're seeing prices right now aren't as high as they used to be. You're seeing the constraints uh, have a lot of the constraints have been removed. It's not as hard to get sand as it used to be. That will fix itself once that little bit of oversupply of sand. Uh, get sucked up by the market uh, prices will sneak back up and the ability to get it uh, logistically will be a little bit harder it's just it's a commodity right now the interesting thing is we've seen a whole bunch of sand mines around the country lose market share here in texas because in texas we've opened our own sand mines and it's really interesting to watch the sand quality which affects the frack which affects production is not as good as here in texas but the sand is so much cheaper so what a lot of companies are doing or is they're they're fracking at higher pressures or fracking using more sand it still costs them less than important sand from the north and they get the same production so it's, it's interesting to watch this is if we have anybody out there that's into the science of proppants, which is artificial sand i would love to uh, talk to y'all because i'd love to better understand do y'all is the pro- are the proppants engineered per well or per the geology like can you tweak it that much in which case i would think proppants help will actually outproduce sand or is it that the cost of the profits is such that even though sand's inferior it's still cheaper to use sand? If anybody out there knows the answer let me know because I'm just curious about that myself.
1: All right and like I said we're not focusing on all upstream today so (laughs) a little bit more (laughs) than another downstream article. Good job Jake. The global oil market appears to be well supplied even as OPEC production cuts kind of begin to whittle away but while crude may be ample there are growing problems within the market of refined products including an emerging glut of gasoline. That doesn't really sound like a problem to me. Not to me either. I think it's (laughs) cool. So I'm
0: used to spinning right around $45, $50 50, 45 50 bucks to fill up my car and lately it's been like 23 25 26 like I don't even care it's so cheap and that's running premium yeah there's a glut in gasoline uh, there, there's reasons for it. Our, we're part of that glut uh, the shell oils that we produce here are light and sweet which makes a lot of gasoline uh, which is actually uh, easy to to they basically just boil the crude and pull it off at the right temperature and condense it so that's part of it. the other thing is a lot of the world is switching to diesel instead of gasoline for their fleets both commercial and residential that's happened in Europe years ago. And then a lot of the world, either for regulatory reasons or for public, for people in public having a hard time with refineries doing any type of retrofitting or for financial reasons, a lot of the refineries around the world haven't changed their ability to produce gasoline versus diesel. So you have a, a bit of an oversupply. We love that cheap gasoline here in the US, but there's a flip side of that in that there's a lot of stuff that's, that's, other than gasoline, the much heavier products, which we're, they're starting to see shortages of. And you're seeing things like a lot of the aromics, which we use to make everything from, you know, marks lots to paint and all that stuff. There, there's a shortage with some of that stuff, too. So it's always interesting to watch the refineries try to plan ahead. It's almost like a farmer. Like the farmer has to figure out a year ahead of time is cotton or corn going to be the crop that makes me the most cash? And he has to plan it, grow it, and hope that he was right. The refineries do the same thing. When they're looking at retrofitting or adding different units to a refinery, what's going to be hot? Is it fuel? Is it jet fuel, diesel, gasoline? Is it going to be the aromatics? Is it going to be you know, all the different uh, petrochemicals that we make? So these, these cheap gas prices in the U.S. are going to stay around for a while. They'll creep back up at the beginning of, of next summer, or this summer, actually. But it's, it's we're, a real part of this cheap gasoline that we're enjoying
1: right now here in the U.S. is because of our shale output. All right. Last article for the daily. We, ha- we, we, couldn't have, we couldn't have an episode of oil and gas this week without talking about technology at least once. Nope. Right? Nope. All right. So BP Ventures has invested $5 billion into an artificial intelligence uh, startup here in Houston called Belmont Technology as part of an effort to bolster its use of AI in its uh, exploration and production business. So they have this AI based platform, which they've nicknamed Sandy. I think it's kind of funny. Why are all AIs named after women? You've got Siri, you've got Cortana, and you have got Sandy. Because guys aren't that smart. I guess. I guess. <laughs> But it's expected to unlock critical data for their subsurface engineers at a much accelerated pace. So their experts will ask questions about the reservoirs like what factors control production in, you know, whatever field. And Sandy will then interpret their data, including mapping out uh, many more scenarios they currently constructed, uh, helping them make faster, better, more informed upstream decisions. It's pretty cool. That's it's kind of like what well, we're kind of trying to do something similar with uh, with Wellhub. So that's considered a, a declarative statement, right? So being able to actually ask your system a question and then for to interpret it and then spit out an answer, as opposed to you going through and generating, you know, putting in your parameters and generating some kind of report. That's the way the world's working.
0: Yep first thing I'm going to do when we get off the mic is I'm going to grab my iPhone, which is set on Do Not Disturb right now, or I do it right now on the air, and I'm going to ask Siri, hey, do you know Sandy? Because at some point, Siri's going go, yeah, I know Sandy. She's BP's AI. We hang out together. We have coffee. <laughs> this is just another example of how a big company knows that what they need in the future is is not going to be invented by another huge company, right? So BP's Ventures Group knows that what they need to compete in the future is probably not going to come from Oracle or Microsoft. And people know hate mail. I love those companies too. It's probably come from some sort of startup uh, like this Beaumont Technology. So BP invests in it and they use it to help increase their their business metrics. And the kind of cool thing, everybody talks about increasing production and getting to the right business decisions faster. What a lot of people don't talk about though is that when you start bringing AI into the, the business like this, you need less people. And when you need less people, these people aren't going to lose their jobs. They're going to go do something more important than fill out Excel spreadsheets. But when you use less people to make to, to carry out this type of process, like looking at production, then less people get hurt. And so it's the, this is driving safety metrics in a way that's never been driven before. We we are getting to be so safe in this industry, and technology is playing a big part of that. Now, I, I will say this much: BP Ventures, which has been around for over a decade, they've invested in a lot of companies. and And my question always is. At some point, they're going to have to start, in, I would think at some point in their natural maturity would be, let's not just invest in companies that help our business, which is what we're talking about here. At some point, will BP Ventures get to the point, Jake, where they invest in stuff and try to flip it? I think
1: so, right? I think at some point, BP Ventures might actually be a profit line for BP. We'll see. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's something if you're, if you're I mean, they've invested half a billion dollars in a, in a you know, bunch of tech companies over the course of 10 years. It makes sense. You know, I know that that's not their main business, but you have BP Ventures for a reason. I, I know that most of their investments are for their business units specifically, but if you can you know, have a good exit as well, why not? Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that.
0: Uh, what's the rig count doing, Jake? I have no clue. All right, so while he's looking that up, we obviously aren't giving away a Red Wing bag. Uh, we are actually getting ready to set up our giveaway for IBM. I can't tell you what it is yet. It's really cool. I would think by the next show, uh, we should have all that set. So just get your pins and your fingers ready because as soon as we open up this, people are going to flock to
1: this giveaway. So just stay patient with us. We'll have it out in the next show or two. Do we get
0: a rig count yet, Jake?
1: Drilling info rate count is 1,081, down 1% from the previous week like you said just kind of sitting there mm-hmm. let's talk
0: about a couple of things that are new that our audience may not know of so we talked about Jake and Collins' other show uh, Oil & Gas uh, Startups which is a crazy good show we also have a couple new launches so we have Oil & Gas Legal Risk with Sarah big shout out to Thought Trace for sponsoring sponsor now and that one's actually out now it's a soft launch we have the Only Gas Onshore, which is a great show. Uh, Justin's the host of that one. Tendika's is the sponsor. So, big shout out to Tendika for partnering with us on that show. And that should be out in the next week and a half, should be live. Then we have the Permian Perspective with Krista. She's going to be the host of that one. Shout out to Baker Hughes GE for sponsoring that. So, there's three new shows, everybody, that will be launched in the next two weeks. We got seven more in the works. So, stay tuned. We're growing like crazy. It's awesome. Big shout out to my OGG and Street team. I know I've only sent y'all one email. Um, I We'll get back to you, but we've had a bunch of people volunteer for that. We have about 70 people globally, Jake, that's going to make up our street team. That's going to help us with our social media. And in return, they get... Isn't that cool? In return they get some really cool perks and shirts. They get to go as our press uh, help in, in all these conferences and expos. So if you're interested in the street team, we're full. <laughs> but you can reach out. We'll put you on the waiting list. And then I want to talk a little bit about some other events that's going on. We have our super happy hour, which by the time you hear this will be over because it's tonight. I'm looking forward to that. It's the last Tuesday of every month. Uh, we got one. We're starting up in Dallas pretty soon, one in Midland. And then, Jake, I'm talking to Chevron about starting one in, in the Valley, in San Ramon in California. And then also, I'm talking to somebody else. In Oklahoma and Tulsa, Oklahoma. So those two are on the radar as well. It would be cool
1: to have one in the valley. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to actually go you know, you know, our wells are up and right outside of Tulsa, so it'd be cool to put together something there and actually go attend that. And then Colin and I find ourselves in Silicon Valley rather often. Plus my wife's family's from a little inland of the Bay Area, so I fly in there probably like ten times a year. So it'd be cool to send that as well. It'd be cool to go there and charge it to the company, huh? Instead of a, <laughs> you have to pay for it out of your pocket. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and then, So we have the last Tuesday every month here in Houston. We'll get the schedules for the other happy hours as they get launched. And then we have the SPE intercorporate. Uh, top Golf tournament coming up. Big shout out to those folks. Our HSD podcast will be broadcasting live there. It's going to be Russell, I believe, doing that show. Um, that's uh, Thursday, February 21st. Go check that out. If you like to whack a ball and drink, with go uh, money goes for a good cause, goes for their scholarship funds. They're really good people, the SPA group of young professionals. And then these events and more are always in my monthly newsletter. Go sign up. It's in the show notes. Depending on whether you're Android or iOS, you either swipe up or swipe left in your mobile app. You can just click on the link right there. We don't spam We, we take all the oil and gas events, play stuff that's secret and stick in your inbox once a week. If you like Jake and I to come talk to your your sales and marketing kickoff, your company, your young professionals, just let us know. we are happy to share details on that. First Friday Q&A, you know the deal with that. Go to the website, give us a question. If we use your question on the air, we give you a big shout out. Please remember, the goal is not to stump Jake and I. The goal is to help inform the audience. And then while you're at the website, go ahead and give us your email address. We promise never to spam you. This way you can find out what we're doing next first. If you want to find out what we're doing next second, go join a LinkedIn group. That's growing like crazy too, Jake. A whole bunch of stuff going on. Audience, Jake and I are still working on kicking these episodes out regularly. We will get better at this and we will start kicking out one week. We do appreciate your patience. We just have a lot of irons in the fire right now.
1: Yes, we do. Speaking of all that, Jake, you ready to get out of here? Well, you missed something. We have the Energy Tech Night. Oh, that's right. Energy Tech Night, February 21st, 6 to 9 p.m. We work downtown here in Houston. There's going to be a couple different sections. There's going to be a panel of industry leaders focused on digitalization uh, and upstream oil and gas. Then we're going to have a couple different startups doing presentations, not pitches. These are going to be presentations to actually showcase their technology. I think that's really cool. And then lastly, there's going to be free beer, pizza, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of the, the networking portion of that. That's the only thing you forgot. So now we're ready to get out of here. Wait, though, Jake, please tell me you and Colin remember to got plates for the pizza. We don't know. I kind of like the frat feel. <laughs> you like the frat feel? <laughs> that was funny.
0: All right. On that note, let's get out of here. So, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.